thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. team and welcome back to The Real Food Real. Today on the show we are excited to share The Real Food Athlete with you. This is my first self-published book and our nutritionist Elise will be taking the mic and interviewing me. Hi Elise and thanks for sharing your time today. Hi Steph, thank you very much. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to be co-hosting the show today and discussing a book that I can say firsthand is definitely worth every cent with some absolutely amazing recipes. And I guess I'll start by asking you, Steph, to give us your elevated pitch for The Real Food Athlete. Yeah, absolutely. So The Real Food Athlete is really about nutrition for performance, recovery, fat adaptation and longevity. So we look at athletes or we look at everyone as being an athlete, right? And as I say in the book, it doesn't matter whether you're doing your first 5Ks, whether you're into yoga or whether you're an Ironman, everyone can benefit from real food. So the biggest message we're trying to teach everyone is how to eat real food and obviously what the benefits are both for today but certainly for tomorrow for those long-term health benefits. Okay, great. Um, And why did you decide to write this book? Yeah, look, I think the biggest concept in the book is it's exactly what we've been doing for the last five years here at The Natural Nutritionist. There's been a huge real food movement in the last few years, which I think is fantastic. But certainly initially, when we first started the company, it was actually a very different environment. You know, I spent my time being quite the myth buster, convincing people that eggs wouldn't kill them and that butter was actually a real food. And, you know, at the start, it wasn't easy because we had those myths of the last five decades that we were really indoctrinated with, you know, the low fat era and being afraid of these foods that contain fats and certainly um, in a country that's very heavy on refined carbohydrates due to the food pyramid. So, you know, whilst that has become easier with the real food movement, our audience is certainly very savvy and they have great awareness to now what constitutes real food and how perhaps the food pyramid isn't the best idea. But we wanted to deliver a book that gave them all that information. So what we've been speaking about for the last five years, but also really practical. Like we all love cookbooks. I think that's amazing. But we didn't actually start with a cookbook because we wanted a guide. We wanted to provide all the education and information so people could understand a little bit more about real food and and certainly uh, some of the other concepts that we'll discuss today. But also that there was a taste of how easy, simple, nutrient-dense and delicious that real food can be. So everyone knows our recipes contain minimal ingredients and they're very quick on the plate. Um, And that's one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we always get. The recipes are amazing, but everyone can do them. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, I've always stuck true to. Um, Anyone that's read my story knows that initially all I could make was a tuna salad. I definitely had no skills in the kitchen and I'm not 
you know, trained. I'm not a chef or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just decided one day I was going to teach myself how to make things that were healthy versions of maybe what I'd always eaten, like, you know, breads and muffins, for example, but certainly with our, our savoury um, recipes that we share in the book and then teach others how simple that is. So there's not that barrier of there being, you know, 25 ingredients or too much time when people just are time poor and it's not an interest to everybody. But eating real food is so important. So we wanted to deliver that book that gave them all the information but certainly a taste of of how good it can be. Beautiful. Okay, yeah, and I think a lot of people nowadays think, they want to start eating healthy, but at the same time, they think that healthy food can be bland and have no flavor. But I guess all all the recipes in your book show the exact opposite of that, that they can be simple, but they can still taste good, have all the flavor and all of those in one. So that's one thing that I definitely love about your book. It just shows that healthy food doesn't have to be boring and the recipes are so flavorsome. And I think that's definitely one thing that sets your book apart from a lot of other cookbooks thank you yeah we get great feedback about the recipes and you know it is a way to really really enjoy real food it shouldn't be diet like at all yeah beautiful okay um so can you tell us a bit more about it I see it has four parts to your book can you just break it down for us and give us a bit of information about each of these four parts yeah sure so we did split it into four parts deliberately so that people can see um I guess Take, take steps, really, to become a real food athlete. So the first part is the technical stuff, and that has a lot of information just to set the scene and educate those a little bit more about what we think real food looks like. Um, then we have a full section on becoming a fat-adapted athlete. Now, this is what we do with our athletes and certainly what we have been working on over the last five years to move away from that conventional model. And I know we'll cover this in a bit detail, a bit more detail later. Um, then we've got part three, which is exactly what is JERF. So Just Eat Real Food is an acronym that we use here a lot, but really breaking that down so everyone's quite clear on what is real food and how they should be building their plate. Mm-hmm. So skills to eat outside of recipes, which I think is also really important. Definitely. Um, and then part four is the recipe. So we've included over 75 whole food recipes. So they're all gluten-free, refined, sugar-free, and they certainly don't contain any poor quality um, fats or dairy. Okay, beautiful. So let's start with part one then. What are your top four foods you don't believe have their place on our plate? Yeah, so we have the top four as gluten, refined sugar, poor quality fats and poor quality dairy. Mm -hmm. So the biggest message when we speak about these foods or how we separate them from what is real food is their degree of human interference. Mm -hmm. So we like to always encourage low or no human interference Mm -hmm. and certainly when we look at foods that contain gluten, they're 99% of the time found in refined carbohydrates, which have been manufactured by humans and have certainly been very much encouraged over the last five decades. But I think a huge part of what we're seeing with the health crisis in the developed world, Mm -hmm. um, and we do take what we refer to as an LCHF approach, so lower carbohydrate, higher fat. And one of the biggest group of carbohydrates that we want to prioritise reducing if not eliminating are those refined carbs because they're not 
in their natural whole state Mm -hmm. and they're not the most nutrient-dense form of food. So I'm really careful when I talk about carbohydrates because LCHF stands for lower carbohydrate, higher fat, Mm -hmm. and I use that as a comparison, so lower carbohydrate than the food pyramid, which is really, really important. We're not talking about no carbs and we're not demonising fruit and vegetables because they are whole food carbohydrates, but we're really looking at refined carbohydrates and for a lot of people their inflammatory nature and the health complications that come with that. Okay, great. Now, refined sugar is one I think that most of our listeners are pretty across now. Like we've seen a huge boom with the I Quit Sugar movement and the awareness to the problems with the consumption of refined sugar, and largely that is its inflammatory nature. So inflammation is the cause of chronic disease, right? So we want to be as anti-inflammatory as possible, everybody, but particularly athletes who have that extra recovery requirement and ongoing performance. So we definitely want to be consuming a very anti-inflammatory diet, removing those inflammatory foods, of which refined sugar is, is a, you know, quite a significant group there. Sure. So poor quality fats is the third group. Now, this is a really interesting group because, as we know, we've seen that huge low-fat boom. Um, thankfully, 2015 saw the death of the low-fat era, uh, although, you know, there's still people that are really trying hard to keep it going. Um, but essentially, we've got to separate fats into different groups. We know that our omega-3s, which are foods like avocados, nuts and seeds, and our saturated fats, which are foods like coconut oil and butter and animal fats, are really healthy. Mm-hmm. But they're natural whole fats and they're really important on our plates, they certainly have amazing health benefits. But when we talk about for poor quality fats, we're really talking about the seed and vegetable oils, like the canola oils that we saw through the 80s, and certainly trans fats, which we find mostly in deep fried food, very much in junk foods um, and baked foods. Now, these are quite inflammatory and they're definitely, um, you know, not natural whole foods. They've got a high degree of human interference. And the biggest challenge is that they can quite easily become very unstable and toxic when they're under high temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and the seed and vegetable oils particularly have a really high level of omega-6, which are our um, inflammatory omega-3s. Okay. So it's really just about looking at where the whole food versions of fats come from mm-hmm. and starting to remove remove those um, seed and vegetable oils and certainly the trans fats. Mm-hmm. And that's just about, you know, starting to make some substitutions with the alternatives that I mentioned, like the olive oil and coconut oil, and you can use butter for cooking and um, you certainly don't need to be buying lean chicken breasts anymore because provided you're buying quality protein, the good fats found in meat that's um, available throughout the whole animal offer some amazing health benefits and that's obviously what our goal is as well. And lastly, poor quality dairy. So dairy is a bit of a group and another group that I split into two categories. I don't think that everyone needs to be dairy free but I certainly think that um, foods and I quote here and quote foods like milk are not the best quality unfortunately milk on the shelf is highly pasteurized so the nutrients are almost you know destroyed in that heat treating process and it ends up being quite nutrient poor and very high in sugars because the lactose is that milk carbohydrate um so you know we offer fantastic alternatives alternatives in the book to um, cow's milk, mm-hmm. and that's 
an easy way to make a simple one-to-one substitution away from using poor quality dairy. Yeah. And then on the other hand, like we just really like to clarify, similar with that protein discussion, it's one that we have a lot here on the show, it's, it's always about quality, particularly when we're looking at animal products. The health of the animal and the environment that they're kept in and the ethics of the farm have this huge impact on the end product. So quality fats that we might find in our proteins and certainly quality dairy is a really important purchasing decision and that's about finding the right farm that has, you know, grass-fed, pasture-raised and certainly hormone-free environments. Okay, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time with um, dairy as well, a lot of people think, you know, um, if we know that we have dairy so then we can get our calcium intake. But I think a lot of the time when you adopt a whole foods diet, you'll notice that there are other ingredients such as chia seeds or kale that will actually have more calcium per serve than a glass of milk. And I think a lot of people don't realize that and think the main reason we drink milk is for that calcium. And yes, we do, but there's also plenty of other whole food sources that we can get that calcium from. Yeah, and that's a fascinating conversation. Like when we have clients here at the clinic People nearly fall off their chair when you try and encourage them to use like different foods for calcium because that's another one of those messages that has been absolutely indoctrinated. And, you know, what do I eat for calcium? What about my bones? And it's almost like they think there's no other source that we can get it from. I think that's where it's at. It's because we've sort of been brainwashed that milk is the only thing that's going to get that nutrient in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's a really great point. So we look for real food alternatives. So we're still obviously getting those nutrients that are so essential, but in its in a natural state without that high degree of human interference that milk certainly has. Absolutely. And then I guess a whole other range of vitamins come with that too when you're looking at dark green leafy vegetables and that sort of thing. So it's win-win really. Um, okay, so... Um, Do real food athletes, would you say they need to go paleo? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so we included a little section in the book on paleo because I think paleo has been amazing. Like by and large, it has had the most largest influence on us and really, really encouraged the consumption of real food. And paleo gets a bad rap and there are certain um, myths that are associated with that, like people think paleo is really high protein or it's really low carb of neither is true. Um, But the biggest thing that we really encourage here at the Natural Nutritionist is that we just don't need dietary labels. Mm -hmm. We're trying to teach everyone an approach that is for today, tomorrow and forever. So it does sound cliche um, and I realise that, but it is about a lifestyle. It's about something really sustainable that you can do forever to look after your health forever. So paleo is quite interesting because they do have a couple of sort of parameters that they, that they stick to or that they avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just a couple of foods that we think our athletes are really, um, you know, really able to consume that wouldn't fit within a paleo template and we just don't need that label as a result. A couple of examples are, though, are our rice malt syrup. So that's one of our favourite sweeteners that we use for some of our treats or sports nutrition products. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's made from 100% rice and paleo is grain-free, so they would use, like, maple syrups and honey. Mm-hmm. And whilst they're fine, they still contain, like, 40 or 50% fructose, which we would, like, we would prefer our athletes avoid. Mm-hmm. So we always preference rice malt syrup. It's still very much an occasional food. It's not something that we're using every day, but it's just to be aware of of that and the reasons why. 
absolutely. And then there's things like goat's feta, which is obviously dairy, which wouldn't be included on a strict paleo template. But this is an example of what we would call a high-quality dairy, um, provided that your purchasing decision is, in, is there. Um, and it is definitely tolerated by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so we're happy to include that in some of our recipes. And then chickpeas or even like peanut butter is another one. Yeah. They're both in the legume family, which, mm-hmm. again, paleo would exclude. But we're really happy that provided the gut health is optimal, which is mm-hmm. something else we teach in the book, yeah. um, that there shouldn't be too much of a interference from the phytic acid or um, nutrient absorption point of view. And, again, we're really happy for these foods to be occasional. Again, not every day, but uh, you know, a, a great way to share and enjoy food with minimal rules and we're certainly not here on a quest for perfectionism. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, I think sustainability is definitely a really important point um, with the amount of different diet ideas out there. I think sustainability is the one thing that's really going to help you achieve results and maintain those results. So that's definitely a really great aspect of your book. Um, so we'll start on part two now. Um, part two should be more familiar to our listeners, especially if they listened to last week's episode. Um, tell us, for the benefit of everyone, what this means and why it is so important in your opinion. Yeah, so part two is becoming a fat adapted athlete, and this is what we've been working so hard on doing with our athletes and certainly our audience for the last five years. And the Real Food Athlete was really born out of the need to dispel the myths of the sports nutrition companies, Mm -hmm. which very much have, you know, certainly these dogmatic carbohydrate guidelines and these carbohydrate loading. Um, protocols and recommendations that all athletes need to fuel off 60 to 90 grams an hour and there's so many complications involved with that like I do a seminar where um, we speak a lot about the challenges with that sort of carbohydrate model and how it creates sugar burning athletes Mm -hmm. and you know simply put it's just not intelligent when we look at being a sugar burning athlete you've got this fuel tank that lasts you two hours So for any of our athletes that are training beyond that point, they really run the risk of a nutritional bonk because there becomes a point where they can't put back in what they're burning. So the only answer is for the body to slow down. Mm. But when you're a fat-burning athlete, you've got anywhere from 30,000 to hundreds of thousands of calories. So we're talking multiple Ironman of petrol in the tank if you can access that fat. Mm -hmm. But the health benefits of that are what's huge. Like I'm all for performance, don't get me wrong, but I'm really here for our athletes to have a fantastic career and to certainly extend their athletic longevity. If you're sugar burning, you're very inflamed. It's very stressful on the body. There's a huge risk of digestive upset from that high consumption that's required, inflammation and injuries, and that's the chronic disease sort of pathway if we're talking long term. Whereas when we burn fat, it's a really clean fuel. There's no you know, reactive oxygen species. It's not a huge job for our body to, to do to recover from. Mm-hmm. Um and certainly we're avoiding all these horrendous sports nutrition products that are full of refined sugar and artificial ingredients. We're relying on our physiology for our performance. And then, of course, we can use some whole food carbohydrates to supplement what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly relative to, obviously, our goals and our intensity. 
and um, our sport. But really being fat adapted is focusing on real food and getting your metabolism to support that goal. Um, And the biggest change that creates that is like LCHF, so lower carbohydrate, higher fat. Because if you're eating the food pyramid and you're eating those 6 to 11 serves of whole grains a day, that's 600 grams of carbs a day and you ain't burning any fat because there's glucose everywhere mm-hmm. so your body has no need to access that fat. So when we manage the carbohydrate intake and certainly the protein as well, um, we keep the insulin low, which is our fat storage hormone, and we burn fat. So we can really work on our day-to-day nutrition the most to become a fat-adapted athlete, which is amazing for performance, um, but certainly that, that long-term health. Okay, fantastic. So I guess we can kind of summarize that easily for the listeners and maybe we could say um, that running off carbohydrates is almost like running off unleaded petrol compared to something like when we run off wholesome, healthy fats, it's almost like running off diesel. So you're just getting longer lasting energy and you're also getting those amazing health benefits that come with it too. I love that because I just recently bought a diesel car and I swear to God I filled it up like twice in the yeah. last six months, whereas I used to feel like I was always that person nearly running out of petrol because yeah. I was really bad at filling up my previous car on time. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Such a diesel all the correlation, way. isn't it? <laughs> so we see the term fat-adapted quote a lot in the literature and media these days. It is as sim- is it as simple as LCHF or are there some common mistakes that you see athletes making? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because just before when I was talking about it being like LCHF, I'm like, that sounds like it's really simple, but it's not. Like yeah. there's obviously a few parameters that we need to tweak and that's why we work with our athletes one-on-one because it is very individualised mm-hmm. and nutrition always is and, and certainly, um, you know, lifestyle and stress has a big impact. But what's really important and certainly what we clarify in the book is that it's not about no carbohydrates, like I said before, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really about looking at the bigger picture. So stress, for example, has a huge impact because we lower our carbohydrates, right, to keep Mm -hmm. our insulin low to allow our body to burn fat. But if we're stressed and our body's producing all this excess cortisol, we'll be dumping heaps of glucose into the bloodstream. So that will spike our insulin, which will stop our fat burning. Mm. So we could be going no carbohydrate and not that I would ever avoid that, uh, I recommend that, sorry, but if we're stressed, we won't get the benefits. We absolutely won't get the metabolic benefits. So we talk about stress quite a bit and people initially think I'm a bit woo-woo and I'm totally not. (laughs) I just realise the importance of stress management for, for lots of things, but certainly for our fat adaptation goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but certainly when we sort of dive deeper into our carbohydrates, we use a term that is called nutrient timing. Mm-hmm. And this is thinking about the best time to consume whole food carbohydrates sure. because we still need to manage our intake of carbohydrates to make sure our metabolism is geared to fat burning. But on the other hand, we need to be looking after our recovery. Mm-hmm. So protein has been this massive poster child of recovery And we see protein powders and products in this billion-dollar industry. But, you know, whole food carbohydrates play a really important role, particularly as our intensity increases. Mm -hmm. 
as the intensity increases in a training session, we burn through a lot more muscle glycogen, which is carbohydrate stored in the muscle. And so there's a replenishment requirement. It's like a sink that was full before training and it's been drained during that session. And our job is to top up that sink, not with the pasta party and not with hundreds of grams of carbohydrates, but it might be with a piece of fruit or half to one cup of starchy veggies after training. And this is really important. And too many athletes stuff this up because they think that no carbs is better because low is good, that none must be better, right? Not at all. So inefficient nutrient timing will make you sluggish. You'll feel like you start to lose your top end and you just you just won't be able to um, hit those marks anymore. You know, I think it's really important to look at the carbohydrates and remember that they are real food um, and that when you get your timing right, you're going to have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it comes down to timing a lot of the time in terms of carbohydrate intake. And I think that's what most athletes don't really consider. They just sort of think before or after and spreading it out evenly throughout the day but at the end of the day it's about refueling those um, glycogen stores and that's what's going to get the most efficient results. Yeah I think it's about really understanding what the role of different macronutrients are so we want them to realize those sessions are fueled off some muscle glycogen so that that timing is really important because if you just eat heaps of fruit when you're sitting still, you'll spark your insulin. And I'd never demonize fruit. It's a natural whole food, but it's still going to have that blood sugar impact. Yeah, and we absolutely. have to keep that in mind. Okay, great. And we also see this term used most when discussing endurance sports and athletes. What about um, strength athletes or people that undertake a lot of yoga or that kind of thing? You did mention before that it is more than just athletes. Can you touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the yogis are interesting because there is quite often been that rule to not consume food within a couple of hours of a yoga class, which is, you know, essentially fasted training. And that's one of the strategies that we recommend to our athletes um, for the vast majority of their sessions so that they can burn fat and not the food that they've just consumed. Mm -hmm. So yogis are actually, interestingly, um, already on that that pathway with perhaps not really realising that because they've been avoiding food before their class, which is the recommendation. So I think that's excellent. Um, But Certainly, you know, it's very easy to then overeat carbohydrates for the rest of the day. So with the build your plate um, strategies that we have in the book, that will really help yogis just continue to look at what they want to consume from that recovery point of view and how to balance out their uh, macronutrients, which will allow that sort of benefit of that fasted training to extend throughout the rest of the day. And, and again, real food is important for everybody. So yogis can definitely become fat adapted or they at least need to be eating real food, um, which is our number one goal. Okay. And strength athletes are really interesting. Like I get this question quite a lot. Um, but, you know, the thing I really need to encourage people to understand is that muscle glycogen tank or that sink that I spoke about before. It is capped. Like you can't eat, eat, keep eating carbs and get your body to store more beyond a certain point. Mm-hmm. That's human physiology. So even if you're lifting heavy weights, you still have a capacity to fill that sink. And then beyond that point, the excess carbohydrates are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that if, if they are consuming more than that, it affects their blood sugar control, 
they're hungry all day, they're hangry, they're overeating, and that sort of vicious blood sugar roller coaster cycle continues. Um, and, it, you know, lifting is interesting. You know, if you can tap into that fat for energy, particularly in your warm up or in those lighter sets or at the start of, say, a CrossFit competition, then you can preserve your muscle glycogen for the end. All your competitors are falling apart because they've already chewed through that muscle glycogen. And you can finish really strong because you've used a lot more fat at the start and that muscle glycogen is preserved for the back end. So it's the best of both worlds. You're not going to lose your strength and no one's asking you to to go into ketosis. That's not necessary for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly does work for others. But really it's about looking at real food so that your plate is balanced but considering those energy systems and certainly how to balance out your fuel stores. Okay, fantastic. Uh, We'll move on to part three now. So part three is really where it gets to practical strategies so the reader can learn literally what to put on their plate. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, this is my favourite section, I think. I love the build your plate section because that is like, you know, for a lot of people it's like, if, if not carbs, then what? And they're like, what do I eat? I've been following that conventional athlete model or maybe I've been eating really healthy but I've been following the food pyramid and finding out that wheat bix for breakfast is perhaps not the best idea. <laughs> so the build your plate is a great way to understand what needs to go on your plate. So we have um, a preference for non-starchy veggies, quality protein and good fats, mm-hmm. and then we time those carbohydrates post-training depending on the intensity and occasionally pre-training depending on the session. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the practical stuff. So literally what to put on your plate Mm -hmm. and lots of examples so that we get that nice balanced macronutrient profile and then examples of actually what that looks like in terms of food. So again, outside of the recipes, you can start to know what to build your plate with and even how to choose off a menu what has that really great balance of non-starchy veggies, proteins and good fats and what's maybe a little bit lower carbohydrate just to get that that perfect balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people as well, um, they get a bit lost when they don't have those recipes that are step-by-step with the exact ingredients and it's right there for them. But what's good about the build your plate is that they do have that flexibility to make it their own and and have the knowledge to be able to build it from scratch themselves as well when they don't have to rely on those recipes as well. Yeah, I think that's what's really important. We want them to be armed with these strategies so that they're not stuck beyond a meal plan um, and that they can then really look at and understand it so they can take that with them into the future. But in this section, we also have a great little kitchen makeover so we can start stocking our pantry with those key ingredients. Mm -hmm. And we certainly have um, at least seven key ingredients that we recommend will be great for the pantry so that you can then basically just stock up with your fruit and veg and proteins and um, really start to get stuck into those recipes. Um, And that's a really great place to start. You know, we all understand that if there's good food in the fridge, you'll eat good food. Same applies to the pantry, the kitchen in total. So looking at really starting to maybe even do a bit of a pantry clean out if you're not quite there yet. And these ingredients will allow you to stock up with um, 
what you need to dive into the recipes and maybe for some people how they can move away from some of those ingredients that we're talking about avoiding like the poor quality dairy or fats or gluten or refined sugar. So again, very practical. We've got a little shopping list in there as well so that when you do start to dive into the recipes, you've pretty much got the majority of the pantry ingredients you need. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a really important thing as well because a lot of the time people don't take that step of eradicating anything that might you know put them off track and then they'll be doing really good for a couple of weeks and then they can just see that chocolate staring at them in the pantry that's something that you know can easily put them off track um so it's definitely a good place to start there cleaning out your pantry getting everything in order and ready to go it's also good motivation as well I think knowing that you've got everything on track and ready to go yeah, and then just finally, there's a couple of other um, key points in um, in Jerf in part three. Mm-hmm. So we have certainly have a gut health section, which is very important for all of our athletes to be aware of. Um, but there's also an eating out section, which is, again, what I mentioned earlier about being able to choose off a menu um, and how you can get the best balance there. Okay. Um, but And we've got lots of ideas in there so that then it's, again, something you can take from home into life and eat out and still enjoy sharing food um, but making the best choice the majority of the time. Okay, great. So another nice sustainable way to adopt um, the TNN approach, which is good. Um, All right, and finally part four. So we've got the recipes. Can you tell us more about what you've included and why and then some of your favourite recipes that you can touch on? Yeah, so we've split this up. Um, We've certainly got eight different sections in the recipes and lots of these are favourites from the website, Um, but there's there's heaps of new ones in there as well. Um, So we have a breakfast section and this is probably the most important section. I think breakfast is notoriously the meal that we've had wrong the most Mm -hmm. because it's been the wheat bix and the cereals and there's been basically just carbohydrates and no other vegetables or proteins or good fats. So we have some amazing quick and easy nutrient-dense breakfasts um, and that would be the place that I advise everyone starts. Mm. If they're picking this up for the first time, and it might be a little bit overwhelming, that's for sure, but as I always say, Rome wasn't built in a day. So picking a breakfast recipe to start to try once or twice a week, um, share with the family or share with your friends is the best strategy because that will set up your entire day. Absolutely. What you eat for breakfast makes the biggest um influence on that blood sugar control which controls then your appetite and your cravings moving forward okay yeah I think a lot of people nowadays too who aren't um with the LCHF approach they'll start their morning with a breakfast that they're not even aware is packed with sugar for example granola and low-fat yogurt someone might be thinking that's really healthy but it's actually packed with you know they're almost half or more of their daily intake of sugar and then they find themselves before lunchtime they're already craving more food Whereas with your recipes, they're so nutrient-dense, they're high in those healthy fats, so then you get that longer-lasting energy. And even just that's a great way to start too because then they'll notice that change and notice that increase in energy that they'll have throughout the days and then they'll just want to keep getting more and more knowledge into their, yeah. Yeah, totally feeds the compliance. You're right. Like people say, you know, those that are having more of a conventional breakfast perhaps aren't making the link yet to what the flow-on effect of that is. Like there's not that connection between actually what happens at 3.30 or 4 o'clock when they're in the office lolly jar. So the opposite occurs when you have, you know, a relatively lower carbohydrate breakfast and include vegetables for the first time, which is, again, a foreign concept to some, life-changing. Like you have so much better blood sugar control and 
you, you can get through to lunch for the, probably the first time in your life, which is mm. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Cool. So we've got a little snack attack section. Um, we're not huge snackers here at TNN. Like we don't want people to be eating every two hours at all because mm-hmm. certainly a big part of that fat adaptation goal is to get a nice window in between your meals. But we, of course, understand that people might want some healthy treats and that some days are longer than others. So it's not always just three meals. So, again, all gluten-free, refined, sugar-free and some beautiful ideas that you might even take to the office birthday party or to, you know, a friend's house to share. Um, And they're, again, all really easy. You know, we've got some muffins um, and some breads and certainly some savoury options like slices and egg cups as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got a nice salad section, which is a really great way, particularly for midweek, you know, I'll actually um, sort of connect this with the next section, the, the sides as well, because if you can just do a salad with a protein or a nice side and you've got your good fats in there, that's all you really need midweek. It doesn't even need to be like a recipe per se. It can just be beautiful whole food that's on your plate in 10 and then make double and you've got lunch the next day and you're sorted. So these couple of sections are, you know, a really great way to start to I think dive into real food a little bit more Mm. Um, and then, you know, that we've got some mains that follow that are also very quick and easy Um, but they're things that you'll need a little bit more of a recipe for, of course, Um, but, again, minimal ingredients and I think my favourite and probably everyone's favourite is the chicken parma. (laughs) (laughs) It's a healthy version on obviously everyone's, you know, everyone knows what a parmigiana looks like normally you know, falling over the sides of the plate. <laughs> it's um, not exactly Massive the best choice. portion size, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just on a really nice um, jerf version of that, which is awesome. Beautiful. And then we've got um, some condiments, which is a really great way just to jazz up the plate and certainly move away. Like years and years ago I once went through Coles and looked at like every single condiment that was on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like seriously one that didn't have sugar in it. And that was like this hot peri peri number that wasn't very (laughs) practical to use all the time. So condiments are really easy when they're homemade. You can use olive oil or coconut oil instead of all the canola oils and rubbish that we see in those product I mentioned, products I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, a great way to have a mayo for a barbecue. Our sugar-free tomato sauce is awesome with, you know, your sweet potato fries or snags and again just making them whole food based yep absolutely and I think a good note on those um, condiments as well is a lot of the time say for example you see something on the shelf and it might be say a beetroot dip and half the time the beetroot on the ingredients list might be the second last or the third last or halfway through that ingredients list which pretty much means that the main ingredient isn't beetroot. So a really good tip for our listeners too is if you're going to buy a condiment off the shelf and you notice that the first ingredient isn't the main ingredient that should be on there, if it's not the first one listed, probably put it away because it's most likely going to have something like a refined oil instead. Mm. Um, so, yeah, definitely making your own homemade condiments is definitely make an amazing shift yeah that's a really good point those ingredient lists can be quite surprising like two percent beetroot yeah that doesn't make any sense at all makes you wonder what else they put in there yeah yeah (laughs) and then our last two sections so we've got some sports nutrition power food so these are the recipes that we've created over the years to fuel our athletes naturally Mm -hmm. so our, our famous freedom fuel and lots of different bars and um 
balls and little bites that you can use for training and racing. Mm -hmm. So moving away from those conventional products which look like they make you faster because of the marketing campaign and, you know, the billions of dollars behind them but really are very nutrient poor, highly refined and certainly not a real food athlete's um you know, product. So we look for making homemade the majority of the time so we can control the ingredients, control the, you know, promote that anti-inflammatory environment that we've been discussing and certainly look after our digestive health. Gastrointestinal upset's huge in the endurance world and so many people just think it's normal. Yeah. And it's not. It's because of the fructose and the refined sugars and the crap that you're consuming in the Gatorades and the power bars. And so these recipes are an amazing substitution. And the majority of them have been trialed by our athletes with great success. So if you haven't yet tried Freedom Fuel or our Novak Energy Bars, for example, absolutely dive in because they're so popular and they work so well for events, you know, even um, – beyond 100 kilometers from an ultra point of view. Mm -hmm. And then our gut loving eat. So gut health is obviously a huge topic and something that we cover heaps here on the show, but we've provided a lot of um, recipes so that um, it's a way to integrate into your nutrition plan. So I know that probiotics have their place. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But if we can get our gut health from our food, then again, it's really practical and we're not relying on a pill. So some great recipes there as well. Yeah, just natural healing, I suppose. It's the way we all want to heal ourselves. Absolutely. Okay, beautiful. Well, I've been making quite a few myself and I really love how simple and delicious your recipes are. So where can our listeners find out more and get their hands on a copy? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is thenaturalnutritionist.com.au and there's certainly um, a direct link available from the menu bar, Mm -hmm. but the URL is thenaturalnutritionist.com.au. It's forward slash the hyphen real hyphen food hyphen athlete and we'll pop those in the show notes. Um, And that's available worldwide. So mainly um, purchase through our website and we'll have some more information coming available soon um, for those that want to get it in store. Um, But we're obviously also based in Brighton at the Woodshed for anyone that's local that wants to come in and pick one up. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you very much, Steph. It's been a great chat. Great. Thanks for your time today and thanks everyone for listening. Um, We'll see you next week on The Real Food Real. Thank you. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.